Hey, you know that other life that you've been dreaming about? That life where you feel free, uplifted, calm, and kick-ass? Well, that life isn't as far away as you might think. Welcome to the Fuck Yeah Life Podcast, where we talk about living that OMG is this real version of your life. You know, your fuck yeah life. Hello, I'm Briley, your host on this journey. So, are you ready? Well then, let's fucking do this. Welcome listeners. Today we have Jeannie Oliver with us from Jeannie Oliver Wellness. And we're going to talk about food and our fuck yeah lives. Uh, so first, Jeannie, I'd love you just to like give us an introduction to yourself. Okay. Well, thanks for having me, Briley. I'm excited to be here with you. Yes. So I am a functional nutrition and wellness coach. I have been practicing for about 10 years now, and I work with busy professionals, mostly women, a few guys who are sick of being on the dieting bandwagon and want to actually transform their health and their bodies so that they can enjoy their lives more. And I have a background in chronic illness. I worked for several years at a clinic where we specialized in Lyme disease and complex chronic illnesses. So I have a lot of background with therapeutic diets and working with people that have really complex issues. And so, yeah, you know, I bring, I bring that knowledge into my current practice and help people just address whatever's going on through food and fitness and lifestyle to start living their best lives. Yes. I also want to throw in that you are culinarily trained. You are somebody who <laughs> loves their food. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. I jumped around a lot with, you know, the studies and figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And one incarnation was culinary arts school. So I went to culinary school, was trained classically as a, mm-hmm. a chef, and then also went to pastry school and worked as a pastry chef for a little while. And so, yeah, I love to cook. I love to bake. But I'm not one of those people that thinks that you should just eat salad the rest of your life and count calories. Like I am adamantly against that. I think food should be enjoyable and good for us at the same time. And um, a lot of people don't think that's possible. It's very possible. <laughs> I'm walking proof of it. And yeah. yeah, so that is a part of my background. I love that because I think that, you know, there's so much out there in the sort of food, nutrition, health landscape that is sort of like, but do you enjoy yourself? Is there any pleasure? Right. Um, yeah. And I know that you are an advocate for that. So we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about how you came to be an entrepreneur, start your own business. Tell us a little bit about that journey, because you said 10 years ago, right? Yeah, 10 years. I can't believe it already. So it's interesting. You know, it took a lot of twists and turns. My mother was an entrepreneur and she was an artist initially and then became Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, started her own business actually overseas and that was really inspirational. And so I loved the idea of having just the freedom and flexibility with a schedule, flexibility to travel, having my own thing where I wasn't mm-hmm. tied to, you know, the corporate grind. That said, I tried to do the corporate thing for a while. Um, you know, I worked in hospitality for years in hotels. I was a concierge. I was in human resources, all of that, which I loved, but it didn't light me up. I was good at it. I towed the line. <laughs> I did love hospitality because it was always different. You were meeting people from all over the world. That was really exciting and fun. <laughs> um, you know, I, I moved from that and worked in the fashion industry for a while. Definitely not my people. Also fun and stimulating, but man, it was just kind of cutthroat and and not for me. And so I had a really interesting experience as a young person with my own health and relationship with food. Mm-hmm. I had some, well, first of all, I'll go back a little bit further because I started off life <laughs> with a really weird sort of traumatic birth and was put on antibiotics almost from birth because I was, you know, a C-section and then I'd had ear infections and stuff as a child. So I was on antibiotics Then I came into the preteen years and had acne, was put on more antibiotics, 
was put on Accutane. Mm-hmm. Two rounds of Accutane. If you guys know anything about it, it's really toxic. It's really important. It's actually yeah. caused, you know, suicidal ideation and, and um, suicides in people because it causes mental health issues down the road. Mm-hmm. Anyway, going through those treatments really sort of destroyed my gut health and affected my mental health really badly. By the time, and then I had some other really awful things happen to me during my high school years. I, when I was 16 years old, was stalked by a middle-aged man. And that went on for about a year and a half. Some other ugly things happened that we didn't need to get into. But I ended up here in Seattle, left Southern California, ended up here in Seattle for college where it was dark and rainy and cold and was kind of more sedentary for the first time in my life. I was severely depressed and turned to food to comfort myself. Mm -hmm. And by my second year here, I had put on not the freshman 15, but about the freshman 30. And I was binge eating and purging regularly. Mm -hmm. So that was, you know, obviously a really unhappy, dark time in my life. Yeah. But (laughs) I think it taught me some things. I mean, I, I really was able to Thankfully, I had resources for for therapy. My mom was really supportive and was like, this isn't okay. This isn't you. We're going to get you some help. So I'm really, really grateful for that because through that process, I was able to kind of recognize what was actually going on, you know, why I was using food the way that I was. And, you know, it was a, it was a long process, but I was in school here. I was studying biology, thought I was going to be a veterinarian. Thank God I didn't end up doing that because I'm way too soft-hearted. It would not have worked. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I would terribly <laughs> said. Yeah. But two years in, I was working my ass off studying, and I just didn't have the grades to get into vet school, which is more competitive than med school. So I thought, okay, what can I do that's kind of creative? And, you know, in my mind at the moment, I thought, well, I love food. I love to cook. Maybe if I were creative with food, it would help me create a more healthy relationship with food. And the culinary arts program here was full at the time. So I ended up starting with the pastry program. And that was an interesting thing because while it was a wonderful experience, it created a hardcore sugar addiction for me. I mean, I was literally like poor college student, right? Yeah. (laughs) Let's just surround ourselves with pastries and bread every day, (laughs) every day, all the time. And this is the early 90s. So for those of you who didn't survive the 80s and 90s, this was the time when high carbohydrate, low fat was supposed to be the healthy thing for you. Yeah. Right? We all remember this. Remember and yeah. hello, and now here we are in this epidemic of, of diabetes, right? And so <laughs> that was going on. So I would literally eat an entire loaf of ciabatta bread just slathered with like kosher salt and olive oil for dinner. And it was delicious and fine, but no real nutrition there, right? Mm-hmm. I gained 50 pounds total. So I'd gone from being like 30 pounds overweight to being 50 pounds overweight. And I was pre-diabetic, but we didn't really know that at the time. Now I do because I look back at my symptoms. Oh, my God. It was just – it was bad. I had the worst brain fog. Like I was sluggish all the time. It was so hard for me to drag myself out of bed in the morning. Thankfully, I was never – like I stayed pretty active after that first couple of years in college when I was kind of more sedentary. I got out of that and I was at least exercising. So that was something. I think that was sort of my saving grace at the time. Mm-hmm. But long story short, that created a real sugar addiction issue. And eventually I moved back to California. At least the seasonal depression thing wasn't wasn't an issue, but I was working at a hotel down there. And one of my bosses was following what's called the zone diet. Oh, I remember the zone zone diet. And it was kind of the first diet that came out that was debunking the whole high carb, low fat nonsense. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was a little more balanced way of eating. And he was just looking healthier. He felt better. His moods were better because he used to always be cranky. And I thought, you know, why not try this? Now, I know that I'm going down all these rabbit trails, but no, to I rewind don't. just a little bit, <laughs> I had actually done an intensive outpatient eating disorder mm-hmm. program before moving back to California. So I'd had some serious therapy and I felt like at least I wasn't binging and purging anymore. You know, I was still sort of using food as 
a form of self-soothing, pleasure, et cetera, which we'll talk about more later. That's actually a natural thing to do. I was maybe doing it a little more than ideal, but I was at least not engaging in that, you know, extremely disordered eating behavior any longer. So when I tried to do the zone thing, I was like, all right, I, I'm in a better headspace here. This isn't going to just be like an extreme, you know, yo-yo diet thing, which I had done my whole life. Um, and, you know, at what, age 25, my body responded pretty quickly and I started to shed the pounds and I did feel better and I was sleeping better, which was huge because I was struggling with insomnia at the time. So getting real sleep was amazing. And that kind of just kickstarted things. And, you know, it didn't hurt that I was suddenly exposed to real vitamin D again, too, living in Southern California. And I was outdoors. And it was easy to get outside and, and be active. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so that was kind of, you know, my backstory. And when I was at my wit's end with the whole fashion industry thing and was thinking about going back to school, it was one of those funny things that can happen that when you start to think, okay, I'm going to make a change. I'm ready to make a change. And you're, you've decided stuff starts to come onto your radar and into your peripheral vision. Right. And I kept seeing ads for nutrition school or nutrition programs. Mm. And I was like, hmm, that could be interesting. Now, mind you, I had since moved back from San Diego into Seattle. I was married, happily married, but I was it was like the first year of my marriage. And we had just moved to a home that I was like, it wasn't really right for me at the time. And I was kind of feeling crappy again. I still wasn't engaging in disordered eating, but I just wasn't eating in a way that was right for me. And I didn't know it. I had no idea what I was doing wrong at the time. I just knew that I was starting to fall back into depression. The insomnia had come back. And I had just hit this awful plateau where I was really struggling with, with my health. I had been treated for hypothyroid and some other stuff. I was 36 at that time. And I remember, and my husband's adorable. Like, I just think he's the hottest thing in the world. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, not wanting to be intimate with him because I was so self-conscious about my body. And I thought, here I am, this amazing, gorgeous husband. I've been married for a year and like, I've always been someone with a healthy sex drive. And suddenly like, I am feeling so shitty about myself and in my body that I don't want to engage in this. Like, this is not okay. And of course I was, you know, not feeling good about my career, like not liking where we were living. It was just this whole sort of perfect storm of circumstances that had hit. And I remember just thinking, here I am, I'm pushing my late thirties, mid thirties, how many more years of my life am I going to waste hating the vessel that I'm living in? How much more of my time am I going to waste just fighting my body mm -hmm. or feeling like it's fighting me? I'm tired of it. Something has to change. I never want to feel like this again. I never want to feel like I'm a slave to food again or that I'm a slave to my emotions again, yeah. or feel so low energy that I can't accomplish the things that I want to or pursue my dreams or feel sexy and vibrant and happy in my marriage. Like this is not okay. And I'm, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And so late at night, <laughs> I was up watching an infomercial and this workout show came on and something about it resonated with me. It was like kickboxing meets dance. And I was like, this sounds amazing. It was Shalene Johnson's Turbo Fire. You guys may remember. And I bought the damn thing and it was 90 days long. And somehow, because I've never followed through with anything like that, somehow I did every single day of the 90-day program. And I was absolutely hooked. And I loved it. And that was sort of the start of my love affair with fitness. And mm. once I got into that, then I did, you know, a couple other the programs on on that uh, whole beach body thing. And they would talk about, you know, food, nutrition a little bit. And so I started to get interested in that. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be working out this hard and I want to fuel for fitness, so to speak, and recovery, and I want to gain muscle and I want to be stronger and I want to be leaner, mm -hmm. like, I need to start focusing on my food. So that's when that 
shift occurred for me. And it was the same time when I was thinking of going back to school. And so it was sort of this nice convergence of all of these things. I thought, look, I've got a science background. I have a food background. Mm -hmm. I want to learn this for myself. I would love to help others with this. Um, And what a perfect compliment to being into fitness. And so I went back to school, back to nutrition, and I never looked back and I love it. I love it so much. It's something that's always changing. There's always new information. It never gets boring. Every individual I work with is different. And, you know, it's transformed my life completely. And now I I help others transform their lives. So that's how I got into this. It's a very long, long story. I'll have to come up with a good, more concise version. So much of that resonated, even just learning the struggles of vitamin D acquisition (laughs) in a dark, rainy place. Not kidding. (laughs) Um, It's real. It is so real. This is my first well, I mean, I lived here like 20 years ago, but this is my first year here in the UK. Just came through the winter. We're like three weeks into like British summertime. And I also went, you know, as you mentioned, I went back to California for like two weeks. And like within a day of being in California, I was like, we're playing a different game here. Like we're <laughs> alive in a different way. And then coming home, like even though we've been home and it's still like, you know, it's great, it's raining, but like it's 730 and there's still light outside. Yeah, so um, nice. That in and of itself is like a game changer. So like I was like, oh, yes, I've had that feeling of like, I think I've consumed more potatoes <laughs> in the last six months than I may have in my life. <laughs> Somewhere in my body says... You need to just eat potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a grounding root factor. Root vegetables yeah. are very grounding and they yeah. are loaded with minerals and things that like our bodies are hardwired to need in wintertime. So it's yeah. also too, like I've become a real fan of parsnips, which never parsnips. never came into my like Southern California vocabulary. Right? <laughs> it's like, I was like. They were like, why would you need a parsnip in Southern California? But here it's like, yes, like what diversity of root vegetable can I eat every winter? But I think also like what you were saying about going through those kinds of periods where you just feel like you don't have control over your vessel, you know, and it's like the winds can change. And then next thing you know, you've spent six months, a year just depressed and not feeling joyful, not feeling vibrant, not yeah. wanting to like connect with other people. And when you were talking about that, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember at this point and then, then that point and then that point. And I think one of the things for me right now in my life is like, I have want to have a relationship with my body that is like, we're a team. Mm-hmm. Like we've got big things to do here. Let's get on the same page. Absolutely. Hey, are you wondering, like, how do I even know what my fuck yeah life looks like? Well, boo, I got you. Head on over to thefuckyeahlifepod.com and sign up for five days to your fuck yeah life. This is a series of journaling prompts I designed specifically to help you jumpstart your own fuck yeah life. Okay, let's get back into it. And I think that there is something that we have to decide. There's a point we have to decide for ourselves that I want to work in partnership with my body. I want to learn to appreciate and use my body so that I can live a better, more joyful, fulfilled life versus what most of us go through life where... I just want to take up less space. I should look a certain way because of external factors, societal Mm -hmm. expectations, maybe familial expectations, Mm -hmm. what we think others will find attractive, right? So there's that time when we have to go, okay, yeah, there's all this noise. That's probably not going to go anywhere. But how do I want to feel in my own body? And I think that that's an important thing. I'm going to take a little bit of a, a... you know, sidetrack here, because I think that in this conversation about body positivity, which is, I think, really great and positive, I think we also have to acknowledge that some of us don't feel good 
in a larger or heavier body or with excess weight on. Mm -hmm. And you have to just be true to yourself. Yeah. Some people do feel fine and they, that's a good, healthy, good set point for them. And that works for their body. They feel good. They feel fine. All of their labs look good. They're a healthy person. But some people, like, especially if you don't have a big frame or something like carrying extra weight may not feel good for you. Your joints might hurt. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of clients lately say, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel bad. I feel guilty about wanting to be Mm -hmm. leaner or, or drop weight. And then we have to have this conversation of like, well, wait a minute. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either either way is is not bad. You have to figure out what's right for you. And again, it's just more societal noise. And so blocking that out and getting in touch with what actually works for me as an individual is really, mm-hmm. really crucial. And, you know, yeah. releasing all of those kind of negative voices. Many times it's our own, but often it can be a parent or it can be an ex-partner or, mm-hmm. you know, a fashion magazine or social media. Right. Yeah. So learning to block those those voices out is is a really key, yeah. key component here, making that shift. Yeah. And I think like we had kind of touched on this before we started recording this idea that like in that moment of, of sort of midlife, it's really about sort of putting aside all of that noise. Yeah. All of that stuff we've learned and been taught about those sort of societal expectations, external expectations, and learning how to listen to ourselves and how to connect with like what it is that works for us that what is that we want and I know like for myself like I will not by any means say that I have conquered my food body journey I am not there but recently I think I've had this switch where for a while, I was just sort of, I did sort of abandon everything because mm-hmm. I knew it was so toxic. Yeah. I was just like, I can't, I'm just abandoning everything. I'm just not engaging with that at all. And now I'm coming back around to, okay, this doesn't feel awesome. Yeah. And I know that in order to feel the way that I want to feel and have the life that I want to have, I'm going to have to get good with my vessel. Yeah. And there it is right there, Briley. It's the difference between I wish I could look a certain way or I wish I could fit a certain mold and instead saying, how can I learn to really honor my body and take good care of myself because it's part of who I am Yeah, and understanding that because I think that it, but it goes against everything in our culture and in our society that's first of all bombarding us constantly through the media at like the Mm -hmm. checkout aisle everywhere with foods that do not honor our bodies, with foods that are addictive, that Mm -hmm. are toxic, that are supporting corporations that go against our value systems. I mean, Mm -hmm. all of the things and it's constantly thrown in our face. And we have these messages of, well, don't deprive yourself. So we have this negative association with like saying no to certain things that, oh, that's depriving myself. Mm-hmm. That's not letting myself have what I want. And to some degree, there could be some truth in that. Like, you know, I have what I, what I call strategic indulgence. And I talk to my clients about this constantly. Mm. That like, look, this is not about creating a world in which you only eat clean perfectly all the time and cut your macros and never have the birthday cake. Bullshit. I'm sorry, but fuck that. That is no way to live. Instead, why don't we learn to eat in a way that nourishes us, that actually feeds ourselves and fuels the things that we want to do in our lives, fuels our brains, sets us up for healthy aging so that we can enjoy our lives to the maximum for as long as we're here. And then at appropriate times or times when like, hey, you know, I have a really special dinner coming up, or it's my birthday, or even once a week. Like we have a pilgrimage, my husband and I, to our local, there's this amazing organic brunch restaurant, and they do these vegan banana pancakes that are gluten-free. And I tell you, they are to die for. And like, I have one of those banana pancakes with full-blown maple syrup after I've had my super healthy, amazing veggie hash, of course. But (laughs) I have one. Or we go to our local like vegan gluten-free not everybody has to be vegan or gluten-free. I'm not vegan, but I am gluten-free and dairy-free. Um, so I just say that because it's a food restriction that I've got. Um, we'll go to our local bakery that does 
these amazing gluten-free pastries and have that once a week or something. And it gives me something to look forward to. So I don't feel like every day I'm just like white knuckling it to say no to Mm -hmm. something sweet or yummy. It's like, oh no, I'm holding out for the really good shit at the end of the week. And that's strategic because it's like during my week, work week, like I want to be functioning at my best. I want my brain clicking along. Um, And you and I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. I'm not on any kind of medication yet. So the way that I'm managing symptoms is exercise and food. And if mm-hmm. I get on track with that, like I notice immediately with my cognitive ability that yeah. things just get a little wacky real fast. So, you know, but then it's when we have that thing to look forward to and we can engage and be present, mm-hmm. you know, I always say like, don't waste your time or energy with like the shitty Costco cookies, hold out for something incredible. And then you know, really be present, really enjoy and savor and take your time mm-hmm. eating that amazing pastry or that incredible craft cocktail or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Because we end up enjoying it so much more. And then we don't feel like we're depriving ourselves yeah. all the time. So yeah. I think that's really what it's about is, is coming back to that place of my body is a part of me. And if I can honor it and take good care of it, and come at it from that approach versus like, I wish I could just look different or way less. Yeah. And I talk about fat loss versus weight loss. They're very different things. Fat loss often falls into place when you're actually taking good care of your body and your mind and your soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an after effect and benefit. But if we don't do this other stuff first, nothing's really going to change. Not Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I just had an ADHD brain moment where I was like, oh. and I was like, <laughs> I have this all the time. Um, well, maybe this is a good segue to talk about the hormonal impact like on the female brain or just the full body um, when, you know, into your 40s and 50s. And what is that relationship also to, to, our, to our eating and the, our sort of like nutrition and just feeling awesome? Yeah, this is a big subject. So there's really two aspects of it that I want to address today. And the first one is the idea that our metabolism slows as we age. That's actually not true. We know that that's not true now. We have incredible, fascinating, compelling new science showing that our metabolism, you know, has shifted. I'm like, oh, I'm here for this. We'll give you the good news first. No, but, you know, there are certain times in our life when our metabolism will shift for sure. But in older age, like really it doesn't downregulate, so to speak, till where you're quite old. Incredible book called Burn by Herman Ponzer. I highly recommend it. Fascinating stuff if you're a science nerd like me. So we know that that's kind of a myth. However, there are a couple of things that do definitely change. Obviously, our hormones is a, you know, are a big part of that. And so... All I'll say (laughs) before I jump into that is that oftentimes it can feel like our bodies are working against us. And I want you to remember, listener, your body is only always ever trying to keep you alive. It is your ally. It is your biggest advocate. And if we can remember that, wait a minute, if there are issues or things happening, it's because the body's compensating in some way to keep you alive. It is trying to protect you. And if we can remember that, it's easier to go, oh, okay, so how can I better work with my body instead of feeling like it's fighting me and having to fight back? All right. That's a really key thing. Hormones, as they change, as we get older, especially as we come into, you know, our forties or maybe fifties, whenever, for some people, even late thirties, we start to go into perimenopause. So, Mm -hmm. and just to clarify really quick, menopause is actually technically after you haven't had a menstrual cycle for over a year or a year or more, that's when they consider it. Now, for some people it can, that can differ. So that's not a hard and fast rule, but generally in the medical community, that's accepted. That's menopause. No more cycling, no more periods. Perimenopause is the time leading up to that point. So this is often when people will have irregular periods, um, you know, heavy periods, long or short cycles or both. They'll skip periods. It can be very irregular and wacky. All right. I'm there right now. And (laughs) this is the part that people really fear. I think, you know, you hear horror stories from women about like uncontrollable weight gain, horrible hot flashes, sweating, weird hair growth, painful sex, like all of these horror stories that we hear about. And 
that's a genuine experience for many, many women. Um, we can't always control all of that just by mm -hmm. our nutrition and lifestyle and exercise because there's a genetic component, there are lifestyle components like stressors, different things that we don't have control mm -hmm. over. However, we can give <laughs> ourselves the best chance of the least unpleasant experience of perimenopause <laughs> by caring for our bodies in the right way. So that means eating a little differently. And mm -hmm. the most common thing that I hear when women get into like their late 30s and beyond is what used to work for me doesn't anymore. You know, I used to just be able to like hit the treadmill more, or do, you know, one or two more hit classes a week and just eat a little less and the weight would come off. Or, you know, I would just eat a little cleaner and my energy would be great and everything would be fine. And now none of those things are working anymore. And they're struggling with sleep. Maybe they feel more anxious. All of these things that, mm -hmm. you know, we can experience during this, this time of life. Yeah. And another component of this that I like to really address is toxicity. So you can't avoid exposure to toxins. Like it's, it's going to happen. It's in our air. It's in our water. It's in our food supply, especially here in the U.S. That's a really big problem. So we can only worry about what we can control. So I always like to preface this, like you do the best that you can to avoid exposures and things like this and to help support your body's natural processes of detoxification. And then you can't stress out about the rest because if you were fixating on every single thing that could be bad for you or toxic, like you could lose your mind and it that's not healthy either. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up though is because our liver has a lot to do with everything. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you can think of toxicity over a lifetime as filling up a bathtub, okay? So as a newborn, you're born with a certain amount of water in your bathtub, so to speak, that comes down from your mother. So, you know, she may have had toxic exposures or whatever. Let's say she lived near farmland and there was lots of spraying and some of that is passed down in utero to a baby. Mm -hmm. So we're all born with a certain level of, of toxicity. And then as we get older, if that bathtub's not draining really well, it's going to fill up and fill mm. up and fill up. And at some point it can overflow. And that's essentially when we're having, you know, symptoms of whatever the toxicity is causing. Okay. It can be a multitude of, of things. In this context, when we're talking about hormones, the liver plays a huge role. So hormones are something that we need to use and then eliminate and mm -hmm. use and eliminate. And many of the chemicals that are out there that we are exposed to now are what we call endocrine disrupting chemicals. And this is a whole other podcast, so I'll try and keep it as brief <laughs> as I can. But these are chemicals that can actually mimic usually estrogens and bind okay. to that receptor cell. And so your body, it just throws off your whole hormonal balance, all right, in short. And it can create what we call estrogen dominance. Doesn't mean you're producing too much estrogen. It means that there are too many either real or fake estrogens circulating in your body. This causes belly fat storage. Because we have to have the right ratio of hormones, it's not so much balance, it's the right, it's the right ratio of things. If you're estrogen dominant, it means there's too much of that and that means there's not enough progesterone or testosterone in relation, okay? Mm -hmm. So not enough progesterone can cause all of these issues with anxiety, lack of sleep. I'm on a bioidentical progesterone, really, really low dose. But when I don't have that, my sleep sucks and I am anxious as fuck. Like I just have that, this constant side of like impending sense of doom, you know, and that progesterone is like this hormone. Well, I know this, that feeling. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And we all felt it over the last, what, six years in the U.S. for you know, yeah, it's like, reasons we won't dive into. But, you know, that can really cause that. So we don't want that happening. And because our liver plays such a huge role also in, you know, fat loss and eliminating things, we want to keep our liver really healthy. And often by this stage in life, like women are doing like the coffee in the morning, booze at night, right? Guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> got to wake us up, got to wind us down. And that is really hard in your liver. And if you're not eating enough high fiber vegetables, antioxidants, mm -hmm. that is also really hard in your liver. So by making a shift with those things, focusing mm -hmm. a little more, and this is what I work with my clients on, 
we always start off with mindset and then we move into detoxification. And we don't just jump into like some crazy detox where you're like, you know, drinking nothing but like weird cayenne and maple syrup, whatever that master cleanse nonsense is. Like, I don't do that. It's really about. I know that one too. <laughs> right? Yeah. We've all, I don't know. We've all tried those things. I have tried those weird things in the past, but yeah, supporting your organs of detox, healthy elimination is really crucial here. You know, hydration, all of those things, because, you know, if we're not eliminating appropriately, like we're just kind of building up and storing more toxic shit. And that again, throws off the hormones, throws off our sleep, throws off everything causes fat storage, you know, it's this cascade effect. So again, there's a lot to cover here, but I feel like supporting the side with the detoxification and then the stress piece is a whole other part of that because (laughs) when we're really, really stressed, that affects our gut health. Obviously what we eat affects our gut health, toxic exposures affect our gut health, but chronic stress does too. And I think that that's the other major problem as we're going through this hormonal shift with women our age Mm -hmm. is that we are under chronic stress. We're not necessarily living a fuck out life yet. We are in the grind. We are Mm -hmm. trying to conform to all of these things that aren't who we really are, that don't really work for us. And we're starting to wake up to that, which sometimes initially is even more stressful than just being in it. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, the, the 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 awakening part is oh super stressful. <laughs> yeah, it is. And getting through that, I'll, I'll never forget when I was first working in that chronic illness clinic. I had a client come in, really really brilliant woman, had Lyme disease, had really struggled with her health, but she had really come through it and was really healthy. Was great. Was kind of coming to the end of her treatment, and we got talking about nutrition. And she said, you know, Jeannie, I got into nutrition because, yeah, I knew it was important for my health. And so I dabbled in it. She said, but I went through a really, really ugly divorce. And she said, before that started, when I knew I was going to leave my husband, I knew that if I didn't fortify my body and take care of my body, because she also had chronic Lyme, right? She's like, I knew Mm -hmm. that I would not survive that. I did not think I would survive that unless I really cared for my body. And so I got really serious about my nutrition and, you know, I survived, I made it through. And she said, I was so much more resilient because of that. Mm. So much more resilient. And it makes perfect sense because if what we're putting into our bodies is not stressing us out internally, we can be much more resilient to whatever the external stressors are, which we don't have control over. And that was such an inspiration to me to hear her story because it's true. You know, we tend to get stressed out. And what do we do? We turn to alcohol or sugar or all these things that give us an instantaneous hit. It feels good in the moment, Mm -hmm. but it's actually degrading our body. Like it's not empowering us. It's actually making things harder. It's creating more of an internal stress and working against us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to that idea of being in that place where you're like, Hey, I just want to take good care of this vessel. Now we have to kind of go, okay, does this serve me well, or does it not? Mm -hmm. Not, Oh, I was good today. I was bad today. That, that kind of shit, that narrative, we've, we've got to let go of that. Um, Because especially if you have it all any kind of rebellious nature, when you tell yourself you can't have something or that's bad, like what's the first thing you're going to fix it on? Oh, yeah. I'm having that shit. (laughs) Right? Right. 100%. Yeah. Like I I I will want things that I didn't want just because you told me that that was bad and I couldn't have it. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I think also, too, it's like we're becoming learners of ourselves, like in a way that like we never had to before. And so like kind of unlearning all of this like toxic crap mm-hmm. around our food and our bodies that we have learned for, you know, 40 some years 
And then also like completely learning new things that just it's it feels awkward it's kind of hard and i think it's super easy to say like fuck it let's eat cheeseburgers Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's that idea too of like when you get to a place where like you have a, a purpose and a goal understanding how all these pieces kind of fit into that it makes that desire to like care for your vessel so much stronger right because if you don't have if like you know if you don't have that purpose and that goal you're like fuck it let's eat cheeseburgers because like we're just living in the moment right it's like whatever hey i love cheeseburgers i'm not gonna (laughs) yeah i mean for all us with ourselves come on But you were talking a little bit earlier, like before we started hit record about like talking to about like this idea of learning new rituals and creating mm-hmm. new rituals because like, you know, our our brains are wired to soothe, right? Yes. Like we're always going to want to lean into how do we soothe ourselves? So trying to get around our own human desire to self-soothe, we're never going to win that game. Right. Talk to us about how you think about this idea of creating new rituals and kind of learning new habits and practices. And it is, you're right, Riley, it is challenging and it can, it can feel daunting. And so we have to start small. And I think that one of the ways that we can do that is just to start recognizing that we are human beings and that we are hardwired for pleasure. We are hardwired to self-soothe and to seek comfort and relief and to move away from pain. And so one of the things that I work with clients on a lot is, look, you know, food is a drug. It is a drug and it can either be one that's helpful or harmful, but it is not something that we can abandon. It is always going to be omnipresent in our lives. Mm -hmm. If you have a cocaine habit, hey, guess what? You can just stop doing cocaine. It probably won't be easy. You're going to need support, but nobody needs cocaine to stay alive. Like you need food. You have to have food. And Mm -hmm. to expect ourselves to go from a place where we are using our food for comfort, anesthesia, to check out of whatever is going on. And it usually is as a result of wanting to avoid unpleasant emotions. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to go from a place of, of being in that to just say, okay, let's use an example. My example is like little crunchy cookies. That is my crack. <laughs> and it's, it's what mm-hmm. I call a binge food. It's not something I can have one or two of. I will eat the entire box. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't keep it in my house, but like that would be the urge for me if I'm like super stressed or upset about something or I'm hurt, whatever it is, like my brain goes, give me the crunchy cookies. So instead of just going, sorry, brain, no crunchy cookies for you, just suck it up. Mm. That in itself is self-abuse. That is not kind and nurturing. So what I need to do for myself instead is go, okay, Jeannie, you are upset you know, genuine, like emotions happening right now, how can you best care for yourself in this moment? What do you need? Do you need to connect with a friend? Do you mm-hmm. need to get outside? Do you need to just like cuddle the dogs yeah. or the cat or something right now? Yeah. What can give me and my brain that momentary shot of whatever dopamine or just sense of nurturing that I need? How can I get that right now? And I have what I call a self-soothing toolkit. It's literally just a list. Any of you guys can make this. <laughs> just get a paper, write self-soothing toolkit, make a list and write down any idea for anything that's not food or alcohol related that gives you pleasure, comfort, feels soothing, feels relaxing for you. You know, maybe you need to call and connect with a friend. Maybe, you know, you want to lose yourself in a really wonderful novel or look at a travel book, fantasize about your next vacation. Maybe you want to soak in a hot bath or 
do some of those, you know, what we consider more traditional self-soothing things, treat yourself to a massage, whatever. But we can't usually do that in the moment. Like you can't just Mm -hmm. immediately go get a massage usually. So these things need to be something like small. For me, I have a tea ritual. I love making a cup of tea. There's something about the whole process of it. And I have my beautiful kettle and my cups that I love and like my loose leaf tea and it's warm, it's soothing, but it's not harmful to me in any way. Right. Mm-hmm. So figuring out what the things are that work for you. I know a lot of people love to like crochet or knit or something like that that you're doing with your hands, something creative. Creativity mm-hmm. is something that we so much lack in our lives because we are so go, go, go in the grind all the time. Yeah. Creativity is wonderfully and deeply relaxing and soothing for people. So I just encourage people, don't try to leave the gaping hole, like fill it with something that really gives you what you need, right? Which is deep nurturing. I was listening to my friend Genevieve Joy's podcast recently. She does a lot of quantum healing and and hypnotherapy. And she was talking about procrastination. And she said, often when we're procrastinating about doing something, it's because we haven't filled our energy, like our tanks have been emptied and we don't have our energy. We're not filled up from something else in our life that's lacking. And I think that that's true when we're talking about willpower, food choices, anything, right? That we're struggling with or putting off where do I need to fill my tank? Like, do I just need some encouragement from somebody? Um, what do I need right now? A nap. A I've nap. always like, oh my God, a nap. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Sleep is so huge. I mean, I kind of joke like, you know, one of my sort of like, you know, things in these moments is like, you know, treat yourself like a toddler. Mm. Like, do you need something to eat? Do you, do you need to like eat or drink something? Do you need to go to the bathroom or do you need a nap? Like, <laughs> It's usually one of those things. And so moments when I'm having like kind of my own personal meltdown, I was like, let's go through our toddler checklist. Mm. <laughs> like <laughs> nap, bathroom, <laughs> are you hungry or thirsty? You know, and it's usually yes. like, and sometimes it's like, I needed a glass of water. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's just, I needed a glass of water. That's a big one. Yeah. yeah that's a big one. Especially you know, if like but I think, cravings are an issue. No, in this sort of like <laughs> grind culture. Yeah. And decades and decades of being taught to sort of abandon ourselves for other people or other things. Like just even just learning that skill of like listening to yourself and just like checking in and being like, I am having an emotion. Yes. What do I need? It's not crunchy cookies. Yeah. I mean, personally, that like bucket from Trader Joe's of those little ones that are about like that big. Oh, man. those are But. That's not really what is happening. There's not a chocolate chip deficiency. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and here's an interesting concept too. When we are essentially under anesthesia, when we are anesthetizing ourselves with whatever substance it is, we are not getting in touch with what's actually going on and coming up for us. You know, we know that people who start using, like in this research is done on what we consider addicts using drugs or alcohol. When someone starts using, that's a point when like their maturity level gets stunted. Mm. So their emotional maturity, it doesn't, they don't grow in that area as long as they're constantly using. Like they just kind of stopped and and arrested at that stage in in their life when they started using Mm -hmm. heavily. Because they're just blocking all this other stuff that's going on that as we grow and we age and we experience life, and that's what it is, it's just life. And sometimes it sucks. Mm-hmm. We need to wrestle with these things and allow them to teach us. And we need to grow from these things and learn what does and doesn't work for us and what we need to heal from and what we need to forgive in ourselves mm-hmm. or in others. And whenever we are anesthetized, like, we can't tap into that true inner Mm-mm. voice. It's really hard to do that Mm-mm. because it's being Mm-mm. masked, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a friend who's an anesthesiologist. Mm. And last summer, I went in for a procedure, which I needed to be anesthetized. And I remember her telling me, when you wake up, it will feel like you've had the most amazing sleep you've ever had. She's like... But it was fake sleep. Yeah. Like, don't be fooled. It was fake sleep. You didn't sleep. And I was just sort of like, what? Is, what? what are you talking about? 
And then when it happened, I remember waking up being like, oh my God, this feels amazing. And then like an hour later, I was like, oh, that was, that was fake. It was Mm. completely fake. Like I didn't have any of the sort of experiences of actual sleep. I just sort of like told my brain for like an hour I had sleep, you know? So it kind of reminded me a little bit of that, this idea of like fake soothing, like fake healing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It feels great in the Mm -hmm. moment, but it's not accomplishing what it needs to. No, not at all. Yeah. That's kind of where I think we need to go with this. I mean, we, we embrace maturing in many areas of our life. Mm-hmm. Now, none of us likes to see more wrinkles on our face or saggy skin or whatever. Like we don't necessarily embrace that as a culture as women. We should, but it's not easy. But we embrace growing in our careers and learning and in maturing in our relationships and our emotional IQ and all these things. Mm-hmm. But I think maturing with our relationship with food, we resist that. We so hang on desperately to like, I wish I could just eat whatever I wanted like I did when I was a teenager and not have any consequences. Mm -hmm. And it's just another area of our life that we need to kind of embrace growing and maturing in. And Mm -hmm. what that means is to figure out like, hey, what works for my body at this stage where I'm at right now? Forget all that past shit because that's done. That's the past. It's done. Our bodies are so incredibly dynamic, especially as women, that I think it's something like every seven years, like every cell in your body turns over. Yeah. I mean, you are literally a new person. It's incredible. It's so dynamic and ever-changing. And, you know, I always say that flexibility is the key to happiness and no more, you know, no other area is that more true than when it comes to our relationship with food. Because if we try to just do what we've always done, Mm -hmm. we're in a different body. It's not going to work. Yeah. It's just not going to work. And so, you know, going back to that hormonal shift and everything that we're experiencing at this stage in life, look, if you do nothing more than drink plenty of water and eat a lot of vegetables, just start eating a lot of vegetables. That's all. Just start with that. Ask yourself, am I getting enough vegetables? Like eat tons of vegetables. Like you can't really overeat what I call non-starchy vegetables. Your starchy vegetables, sure you could. Those are things like, you know, the root vegetables we were talking about, which are also very nourishing, but we want to kind of not go overboard with those because they are higher in sugar and starches and and our blood sugar, which if you want to talk about that, that's a little bit of a different shift too in this age. Like we become a little less what I call carbohydrate tolerant. So Mm. you don't need to all go on a keto diet. Some people do. It's very effective, but that can have its own repercussions. But moving towards a lower starch and sugar diet is very helpful at this stage of life because we just can't eat higher carb diets like we used to and and get away with it. So understanding like, hey, I'm at this point in my life, that's not going to work for me anymore. And that's okay. And and sometimes we have to actually grieve that because food is so emotional. It's celebratory. It's cultural. There's so much tied up in our food. Yeah. So we need to understand that like, hey, if I can't just eat the way I used to all the time, if it's not working for me anymore, you might have to grieve that a little bit and let go that like, it's not like you can never have a specific meal or something ever again. Mm-hmm. Of course you can. Just be strategic about it when you do it. But it's it can't be the everyday go-to staple thing that we did all the time when we were younger because we're now in a different body. Yeah. I, there's an earlier episode of the podcast where I talk a lot about this idea of our friendships and our relationships mm. and how they change. And the idea that like, we're changing as people, our friends are changing as people, and our relationships aren't going to stay the same throughout our entire lives. Like the people who were our like go-to bestie ride and dies when we were 20, Mm -hmm. they might not be in our lives at all now, or they might be like, we have a very different relationship because we are very different people. Yeah. And you know, we were talking about that. I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of like that with our relationship with food too. That like we change our relationship to that food is changed. And if we always kind of have this emotional attachment to a food being a certain meaning, a certain thing, being a certain thing and having that as a constant, that's just not how our bodies work, our minds work. Like things are going to change. Exactly. Um, my brother and I have this like joke about the fact that when we get sick, our brains tell us like immediately we start craving McDonald's. Mm. <laughs> and there is like yeah. nothing 
about a McDonald's value meal that says, I'm going to heal you, right? (laughs) No, definitely not. If we were sick and we had a day home from school and like we had to go, mama to take us to the doctor, we would get a McDonald's happy meal Mm. when we were like homesick. Right. And so somewhere that became deeply embedded in our brains. Yeah. That like when we feel this way, this is what's going to heal us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just made up in our brain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think about it now. I'm like, no, like that is not going to heal you in any way whatsoever. <laughs> but realizing too that it's like, it's not that you can never have that. Right. But it's not going to heal you. You don't need that thing every time you have a cold. Yeah. And my, even my friends know that this is like a thing for me that and one of my friends came over and saw like a McDonald's bag on the counter. Like, she's like, oh, oh, you're that sick. Oh, my God. <laughs> McDonald's <laughs> sick. <laughs> oh, that's cute. I think that thing yeah. of just like realizing that those kinds of relationships are going to change Mm -hmm. and we don't have to like hold on to them in the same way for our whole lives. That 20 year old us isn't 45, 50 year old us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So true. And you know, one thing that you mentioned, I think a couple of times in in a couple of your different episodes I was listening to is that you often have people come and be like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. And you know, the same thing I hear all the time. And I do think that with food, you know, it's just when we're shifting the way that we eat, we're learning a new skill and new skills take practice to master. Mm -hmm. And because our bodies are dynamic, it's kind of like yoga. Like nobody ever fully masters yoga. And anyone who's a serious yogi or yoga practitioner will tell you that. Like you never fully master it. You're always learning and practicing. Mm -hmm. And I believe our relationship with food is the same way. I think initially it does help to have a framework and some structure. So that could look Mm -hmm. like a meal plan or something along those lines. Um, You know, what to eat, what not to. I do provide that for clients. However, the end goal is not for them to leave with week after week after week of a meal plan. Because that does not teach them to get in touch with what works for their body. Because Mm -hmm. they're complete completely unique individual. And what works for me may not work for you or your neighbor, Sarah, or whoever, Mm -hmm. right? And so the goal is not to tell you what to do. It's to give you the tools to really learn what works for my body, what ways of eating, what foods, what meal structures, timing, all these things, what works for my body to help me reach my health goals and to help Mm -hmm. me feel like the best version of myself, to wake up in the morning feeling rested, to have slept well, to have energy to do the things that I want to do for my brain to function in a healthy manner, um, to not be in pain. I mean, I struggled with yeah. chronic pain for years because I was inflamed. Like, you know, inflammation can cause a lot of issues like that, that why suffer needlessly? And so, yeah, it's hard. At first it is because it's a new skill and it's awkward. It's like whenever you start that new job, that awful like ramping up feeling, <laughs> you know, when you're the learning curve, it just feels awkward and weird. And it's just kind of a struggle. It's like you talked about too on your episode that like you were doing this job, you were very good at it. You knew how to pivot if something came your way, like you knew how to navigate that job, but it didn't mean it was right for you, right? No. So anything new that we're learning, it's going to feel uncomfortable at times and it's going to feel like a struggle, but it's also a struggle to feel like shit all the time right? It's a struggle to be in pain. It's a struggle to hate trying on clothes. It's a struggle to go through life feeling like there's got to be something more or to just have no energy or to be brain foggy all the time or be struggling with chronic illness or whatever it might be. Gut issues, you name it. That's really hard. It's just that we get so used to it that it's kind of the devil we know. And so when we try to shift out of it, yeah, it's tough at first, but I am living, breathing proof that it's absolutely worth the work, 100%. Because at 49, I feel better. A lot of ways I look better. And I enjoy my life a hell of a lot more than I did in my 20s. A lot more. And I'm perimenopausal. So (laughs) it's a big deal. Yeah. Well, I love everything 
everything that you're talking about. I love, and I think that, you know, I love this idea too, you're talking about, it's like, yes, you can have a meal plan, but that's only going to last as long as the meal plan or as long as you follow the meal plan. And that's the thing too, like with everything that I talk to people about is like, I can't give you a plan. I can't tell you how to do it because only you can know that. It comes from within you. And what we're going to work on is trying to like understand that, try to get closer to that yeah, and then use that as our guide. Yep. And it's like, it's true with food. It's like, you know, another episode we talk about money. It's like, you know, all of that stuff is really, it's like we're learning at midlife how to listen to ourselves. Yeah. It's a fascinating learning <laughs> it is. And we have a choice to approach it as either daunting and like, ugh, you know, yeah. why do I have to make all these changes or why do I have to deal with this now? Or we can look at it as like, wow, this is awesome because at this age, we've kind of, I think most of us, like one of the things I love about being in my 40s is I don't really give a shit so much what people think of me anymore. It, yeah. it, it's really like, does this work for me? Does this make me happy versus like, is this what I should be doing? And a good friend of mine calls it the fuck it fifties, you know, yeah. it's like, fuck it. Like I just don't really care fuck about it. all that other stuff yeah. anymore. And it's really about like what is right for me or figuring out your own voice, your own truth. So, yeah. So I like to kind of round out each episode and I like to give listeners what I call a fuck yeah follow up, um, which is something they can like do implement mm-hmm. something really, really simple to kind of think about and practice some of the ideas we talked about. So. Do you have a fuck yeah follow-up for us today? (laughs) I do. And it's kind of not really necessarily on track with what we were talking about, but it's one little trick. And Mm -hmm. I find that this little shift in your Mm -hmm. routine can be a huge needle mover for women our age. Mm. And I share it often. I tell my clients this all the time. It's one of the first things I have them start with. It's a small shift, but trust me on this. It can make a huge difference. So- well, first of all, use that whole self-soothing toolkit thing we talked about, because I think that that's a really yeah. big, great, great tool. But I want you to try not drinking coffee or caffeine on an empty stomach. Oh, you don't have to stop drinking oh. coffee or drinking caffeine. Just don't have it on an empty stomach first thing in the morning. A lot of people are trying the whole intermittent fasting thing. That's a whole other conversation. The research we have on that is mostly done on white college-aged males, not women, our bodies respond very differently to it. When we start our day with caffeine, it spikes up our cortisol, which is there to wake us up, right? Cortisol is not all bad. It has a function in the body. Wakes us up in the morning. And then you hit your system with caffeine and it goes up to like an unnatural point and can crash you down, causing terrible energy fluctuations throughout the day. Blood sugar dysregulation, which is Again, another conversation, but you want to kind of keep your blood sugar regulated as much as you can for your overall health and metabolic health and everything. Really crucial. But it can also cause cravings like for sugar, especially after dinner, and it can fuck up your sleep. And if you are not well slept, let me tell you, girl, like things are just not going to go well. And sleep is a huge challenge for many women at this age. So this can be a small shift. Just have something in the morning with protein and fat. Don't do the high carb breakfast. Like, we're all told, oh, I had coffee and pastry, right? Worst thing you can do for yourself in the morning. No, have something nutrient dense, eat an entire avocado if you want to. I don't care, have a bunch of eggs, whatever, eat some nut butter. I'm not a big breakfast person. Like a lot of people aren't super hungry when they first wake up. Yeah. yeah just have something I'm definitely going to implement this because it definitely speaks to me. Yeah. It's a small yeah. thing, but it can really make a big difference for a lot of people. And give it a few days. Be patient with yeah. it. Okay. That's it. I'm going to give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to chat with us. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you out in the world? Yeah. Thanks for having me, Briley. So you can find me on social media at J Oliver Wellness. Um, my website is just joliverwellness.com. It's J-O-L-I-V-E-R. And if you want, you can schedule a free 30-minute coffee talk with me. If you're interested in working together, you want to know more about my programs. And after we yeah. And not, we're not going to coffee talk on an empty stomach. <laughs> no, exactly. Not an empty stomach. Um, and then I believe in June, again, I'm going to be opening the doors for my Body Liberation Together program, which is my 12-week metabolic health intensive. 
and mm-hmm. it's done in a group setting. It's really small. I limit it to like eight women or less. This time we had five, which was actually perfect. But we'll do kind of a more intensive deep dive on, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've touched base on, mindset, detoxification, you know, nutrition, fitness is a big component there. But it's a really powerful mm-hmm. program and I'm excited to to run the second cohort of this coming up soon. So yeah, yeah. that's where you can find me. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bradley. This is fun. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. And if you've enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're ready to start living your own Fuck Yeah Life, head on over to the fuckyeahlifepod.com. That's F-U-C-K-Y-E-A-H pod.com. And sign up for five days to your fuck yeah life. This fab series of journal prompts that I created just for you will help you get on your way to living your own fuck yeah life. And you can find me on Instagram at Briley Rasmussen and hit me up in my DMs. I love hearing from you. Take care, friend. And I'll see you back here next week.